This is also where you're going to look at what are their information sources. You got to understand where their information is coming from and who influences them. Because that's the whole point of knowing your customer avatar or what your target is, is being able to go where there's a high likelihood that your people are there. Hey Feasters, welcome to episode 7 of season 7 of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life that they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. And if it's not, well, I'll go talk to the founder of that app and get it there. If you've heard the show before, why not leave us a rating and review in iTunes or go ahead and drop us a comment in Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is Paul Sokol. Paul is a thought leader and self-proclaimed mad scientist. He's been achieving meaningful outcomes for businesses with humanized automation within Infusionsoft. He's also the co-founder of BPro, who markets in-person events for businesses, venues, or entertainers who are serving a thousand fans at that event. In this episode, we dive into how to capitalize on an opportunity where most think that there isn't one. We talk about the four parts of identifying your ideal client, and this comes from an FBI profiler. And finally, we talk about Paul's exact recipe for validating the avatar. This is a super actionable one. So here's Paul and myself. Welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to have Paul here. Welcome, Paul. Hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. I know that recently you uh, got a little bug or something, and so we this is actually a reschedule. I'm excited we could do it so quick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, our house was under siege, if you will. <laughs> so three out of the four inhabitants of the house was sick. So oh, uh, I do appreciate your time and flexibility in that. But yeah, I, I, I'm excited about this because your history and what you do and who you serve and all that stuff in the Infusionsoft side of things, you know, that's what I do for ConvertKit and Drip as well. So, you know, there's a likeness there. And, and so, cool. you know, I've seen you around on social and things like that and, and cross paths in that way. Um, but it's great, always great to see you face to face and learn a little bit more. So I'm, I'm excited to dive in here because... Today's topic, obviously, is the ideal client. And, um, you know, you've built your business on a very specific type of client and things. And so we were just talking back and forth and you shared a little bit about essentially what your ideal client is is for BPro, which we'll dive into that a little bit more. But um, I thought it was fascinating. I thought there was some things in there that I really would love to ask you about. And we'll dive into that. But before we do, can you describe who your ideal client is? So my ideal client would be actually, we've got this in our, uh, in our positioning doc. It's just, it's elegantly worded. That's why I wanted to say it. So pretty much our target would be a, a venue promoter, entertainer, or speaker that's serving a thousand fans or more through live in-person events each month. So if it's like one massive event, cool. If you're like a venue and you're doing, you know, a couple shows, you know, each week, cool. That's, that's kind of the general people that we're kind of looking for at least for the B for the B pro side of things. That's who we're focusing on. Cause as you know, when you know a, a piece of technology, like, you know, drip or convert, you can be a generalist. You can, you can help anybody with the business cause they, mm-hmm. you know, the, the tenants are the same. It's the empirical parts of it are, there's nothing different. You know, nobody, I almost have a nihilistic approach to business and like, you know, your business isn't special. Your offers are not special. Your customers aren't special. Like the, because if you think they are, then you're going to fall into all sorts of fallacies of the ego. And, mm-hmm. no, my customers are different or whatnot. No, they're not. They're humans. Our brain and psychology has been the same for like 2 million years. All sales conversations go through the same phases, regardless of if you're selling Girl Scout cookies or it's a multi-million dollar merger deal. It's, 
it's all the same. Mm-hmm. But for BPRO, that's who specifically we're targeting are these people that are serving, you know, at least a thousand fans or more with live in-person events because we've got plenty of experience with that. And we figured there's riches and niches, right? So now we can be specialists instead of just generalists. Hmm. Even though we were just like generally special, you know, like, you know, <laughs> we specialize in Infusionsoft, but for anybody or for at this point, really any kind of automation. Have you ever played around with, with any other tools like, uh, kind of like active campaign or yes. like HubSpot or any of those things? They're, they're all kind of the same, right? Yeah. It, it's like driving a big rig. If you can drive one big rig, you can drive all of them. So automation is kind of the same. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, if you will, as a developer. And I, it was always like, hey, I did Ruby on Rails, I did Java, I did PHP. Nice. It's like it's the syntax is the difference. Everything exactly. else is pretty much the same. You just kind of have to figure out the nuances. And uh, yeah, it's all the same, like you said. Yeah, it's all the same. There's variables, there's functions, you can have classes of data. It's it's all the same. It's really fun. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, why the thousand number? What makes that significant in your ideal client there? So that is a qualifying thing because these are professional services here. So if spending a hundred bucks to promote a show is too rich for your blood, like we're certainly not, you know, the service, our services would be good for you. You know, the, the video guides and stuff would more do it yourself. So we figure that if you're serving a thousand or more fans each month with in-person events, again, whether it's one or a bunch of them, you're a little more of an established business. You've got something legitimate that people want. And the mode of in-person events, it's, it's a unique kind of offer that in real life fulfillment mm-hmm. of whatever somebody's buying, the fulfillment is in real life. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to promote it and, and bells and whistles. So mainly it's just qualifying people that aren't going to waste our, not necessarily waste our time, but rather that it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good use of the time. If I can say, hey guys, you know, here's a hundred dollar video guide. This is going to teach you everything that we would have done for you in the first place. Great. Because, I mean, our services are, they're professional services. Mm -hmm. We've got, you know, there's a venue that almost every single day I'm scheduling posts to count down for the show, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever show's going on here. So that's really the main reason is just kind of qualifying, making sure that we're talking to the right people. Right, right. Yeah, I think, and I think that that's what a lot of people sometimes start getting hung up on when they start looking into this, like, you know, hey, I am a generalist and I'm trying to specialize when they start to think about like these qualifiers or disqualifiers as I mm-hmm. usually like to think of them as is that and that could be the pessimistic side of me if I look at them <laughs> as disqualifiers but people get hung up on it they're like oh but you know if somebody has like you know eh, they could be wishy-washy they could be like oh 500 but they have the budget uh, it could be still a good fit and all that but throwing it out there and saying like a thousand, mm-hmm. you know, it's telling them that, okay, this is what I need so that then I can have a productive conversation at least with these people. Yeah. No, that's a good point too. If it's like one little show at a, at a dive bar, like you, our stuff is still going to work, but it would just be like, it would it just wouldn't be a good use of your, your budget or your time. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you pay a thousand bucks a month to have me schedule five posts for one show? <laughs> Right. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. make any sense. You know, I'd much rather just teach you how to do it and then you can do it yourself. And then when you're, once you've grown and, and developed to the point where you are doing more events and do need that help, my hope is that, that we're positioned to be the solution for that. Right. So what made you, I mean, and this is just a little going a little bit off topic, but I mean, you know, your t-shirt and I'm a metalhead myself. Uh, yeah. But like what, what made you go into the events space? Right. Because like, I always hear all these things like event organizers and I talk to them and they're like, yeah, events are just kind of like, if you break even, then it's good. Like I always hear like, there's not as much money in it as it, you would think mm-hmm. really. So I'm curious of why that area, why that space? That's probably part of it. Cause there is that big opportunity. You know, when you hear these giant business conferences, they're barely breaking even in my head. I'm like, why would you do that in the first place? Right. <laughs> You're getting the grocery store <laughs> margins on this. You're having people pay $2,000 to attend this conference. How, and then the place is filled. How the hell do you not make any money off of this? So that comes down to the offer itself. And I believe that any event 
should be treated just like any other product or service where you intentionally design the customer experience of the fulfillment. And then you, knowing that, you intentionally design how the sales experience is going to work. And then knowing that, you intentionally design the marketing to get people aware and into that sales conversation. Where I feel a lot of people run into problems is they feel like they can just throw money at an event and it'll be successful. And that's just simply not the case. Hmm. In fact, out here in, in Phoenix area, we see a lot of clubs that'll come up and, and go down real quick. Like there's a, there's a place out in Scottsdale called Livewire. You know, decent club, great sound equipment. Location was trash. There was no parking. I mean, drinks are always going to be overpriced at a bar, but just like it was one of those things where you could tell they had a lot of funding and they just thought that that would be enough. And that's not the case. Mm. You really have to take responsibility for the event and know why are you doing it in the first place? Why are you hosting it? Because when you're an event, you're actually, in most cases, you're actually a platform offer. And I define or to me, a platform is a distinct kind of offer where you're solving two different sets of problems for two different audiences with the same offer. So Uber is a platform. The problem is drivers and the problem is I need to ride somewhere. A venue is a platform. As a band, my problem is I need a place to perform and as a fan, I need some place to be entertained. Facebook is a platform. As a consumer, I need to whatever. <laughs> And as an advertiser, <laughs> as an advertiser, I need a place to run ads. So right. I think a lot of people struggle with events because they, they really don't get that in most cases it is a platform. Even these big conferences, yeah, you've got all these attendees that are paying, but what about the speakers, the people that you're bringing in? What about the workshops that you're doing? That's another thing too. I see a lot of people, they'll do like, you know, workshop events and it's just like a poorly organized sales pitch. I'm like, guys, what is the promise? What are you going to do to step people through getting that result? How do you, you know, not guarantee, but how are you assuring that people are going to come out of it with what you actually intentionally wanted to happen? So that's usually why events are money pits mm. and businesses would just treat them like a big lead gen op and then hope to make money on the back end. And that's dumb. Mm. That's a waste of an event and relationships too. Mm. and resources and just everything. So, so that's a really, now I haven't even answered your question. How did I even get, get <laughs> to it? So that's part of it. That's part of it is like, I'm just sick of seeing like just people getting taken through the ringer because like of a bad event for, and, and again, not even just an entertainment based event, functional events too. You see like nonprofits will do these charity events and they're just like, and they're just train wrecks with dumpster fires on the back of them. Like, mm. it's like, Christ, what? You're a nonprofit. So the second reason is I'm actually really passionate about music and, and music education because back in, it was late 2014, I realized there's a really big problem in the world that school budgets are being slashed and it forces administrators to make tough choices. And usually the first thing to go is music because equipment is expensive. So the problem with that though, is if nobody does anything about it in a couple of generations, there's not going to be, at least in America, there's not going to be any original music. And we're going to lose that creative part of our society. And it's just all going to be talk radio and engineered top 40 pablum. So that's why I founded Keep Children Rockin'. And we provide music equipment donations and repairs to local schools. And since starting in, uh, since, since we started with uh, our first event in 2015, we've successfully donated over $8,500 worth of repairs and donations to 15 different schools throughout Arizona. And to fund this, we do an annual heavy metal festival called the Dead of Winterfest. And that's really where I started cutting my teeth hard on that. So we did the Dead of Winterfest. And then the other festival partner, Paul Benson, he actually owns Club Red out, uh, out here in Phoenix Mesa. And we started getting together and just doing shows together. And that's where I further cut my teeth on promotion. And now I'm just much deeper into the belly of the beast. And uh, since then, I've spent thousands of dollars on Facebook ads, my own money, clients' money, and not just pushing events specifically, just ads in general. So honing those chops. And then, of course, there's a lot of specific bells and whistles for events and stuff. So that's kind of where how I kind of fell into this. So it's something I'm passionate about and I'm good at it and I can get paid for it and the world needs it. Yeah. It's actually the, the icky. Are you familiar with the icky guy concept? I K I G A I. I actually read that book on a flight from San Diego to New York. 
Oh, cool. So there you go. I'm, I, I've kind of fallen into it because that is kind of an icky guy thing for me. Hmm. I get stoked to ask fans if they want to play and to reach out to venues and see if they have openings. It's exciting to have conversations with sponsors and whatnot and just see how that all works. Cause yeah, I, I just love, I just love doing that. And if I can get paid to do it and help the scene, great because right. as you know a lot of the, the the talent and again not just entertainment based a lot of the functional events you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. if you're a nonprofit, you're really good at being a nonprofit, but you're not a marketer right if you're a band you're really good at smashing those drums and, and making riffs but you don't know the first thing about getting yourself out there you know so that's kind of the main reason why we shifted to be pros because we believe that in-person events really are that essence of human connection and that's what successful events do. And so we're committed to, to educating and developing and training event organizers to be the best that they can, regardless of whatever their kind of event is. You can hear it in Paul's voice here where his passion is shining through, right? This season, we've talked a lot about the evolution of an ideal client within any business, and Paul is no different here. He's found a sweet spot in filling a gap to help those he truly in his heart want to impact. Didn't start out that way, but that's where he is right now. If you want something to stand the test of time and get you really amped up to do some amazing work, follow a passion that you have. But as Paul points out, be sure that it's profitable in the end too. If you want worksheets, exercises, and the ability to create that ideal client and precise solution to offer that client and become that go-to resource and build a sustainable business, head over to feastacademy.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes and templates to not only figure out who your ideal client and the services that you can provide for them, but you'll also learn how to figure out the price to put on those services that makes it a complete no-brainer. That's why I want to invite you to check out Feast. Feast is everything that I've done in my career to build this business. By using the code validating at Check out, you get your first month for only $20. Everything that I've used to build my business, well, go ahead. There it is for you. Look, Feast is different than everything else out there. It is essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in the shuffle. The moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat so that I can create a custom syllabus of detailed resources within Feast to meet you where you are. Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off that project searching hamster wheel. If you want to stop chasing down that next project all the time so that you can start living your life, head over to feastacademy.com today and use the code validating at checkout and your first month is only $20. I love that you actually created an organization to give back to the schools because I hear that a lot of times here in New York is that like, oh, budget cuts. That means no band, no sports, Mm -hmm. like everything that kids need as outlets creative outlets is like the yes. first to go and i'm like that's the wrong way to look at these things and like 100 so i commend you in that for sure thank you what's the the organization again what's the name again so it's it's keep children rocking i know the g and you just go to keep children org. it's uh it was our first website so be be delicate i know that we have a lot of designers <laughs> and whatnot so you're probably gonna look at it and go this is awful and yes i agree it's awful we need to redo it but that's five-year-old site or something that I put up once and, and haven't really touched. So, but yes, we're, if we're legitimate 501C, you can look us up on GuideStar and, and all of that jazz. And yeah. And so we're actually in full-blown dead of winter mode right now. Actually, just before this, I was messaging, messaging X and following up and seeing who's down and who's not. Nice. 
Cool. So before we dive in a little further and start to unpack maybe some of your thoughts and your experiences on, on the ideal client, I always like to ask everyone that comes onto the show, what your defining moment in life so far has been? Man, there's, there's been a handful of one. I'd say that probably one of the most defining ones was about a year and a half ago, I had a complete mental break and was suicidal and ended up getting taken away for a day and hung out in a psych ward, you know, for a fun little 23 hour vacation to cool down. And at that point is when my girlfriend really was a stand for me and was like, you need to like, you need to just get evaluated. Like there's something going on. Cause I've always had challenges with emotional reactions and things like that. And yeah, turns out I actually have borderline personality disorder, which explains a lot of things. It fills in a lot of gaps from the past. So at that point, it was a defining moment for my life because I actually had an answer as to what the fuck is wrong with me. Because really, like, I just didn't feel like a normal kind of dude and like not understanding things. And now I actually have tools for mm. regulating my emotions and, and distress tolerance and being mindful and taking responsibility for my emotional state. I've seen, especially like in events, there's so many people that run a business based off of emotional responses and you can't, mm. like you can't do that and sustain. It's just not going to work. So that was a defining moment for me. So, and it took a lot of courage. It actually took that mental break for me to finally acknowledge there's something going on, dude, beyond just, you know, regular going to therapy and talking to somebody. So if anybody's listening and you're kind of in a similar spot or whatnot, be courageous, go get evaluated. If you feel like there's even a possibility, you know, worst case scenario, nothing. And, and that's one less thing you can rule out. Best case scenario, turns out there is something that you've been dealing with that you didn't even know about. And now you actually have tools and help to do something about it. Mm. So probably not what you were expecting. And that is definitely a defining moment in my life for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've had several people on the show talk about really mental health is what it comes down to mm -hmm. as, as part of their defining moments. And for me too, I battled depression to the point of not suicide, but basically detrimental things. And, you know, I'm an advocate of at least sharing the story only because mm -hmm. if, and I'm in no position to tell anybody what to do, but if my story helps anybody that you know, could be listening and saying, hey, it sounds like I'm going through something similar and at least gives them that opportunity to know that they're not by themselves, right? Yes. And that, that's really what it comes down to. And so uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. that that's, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, man, you're, you're welcome. It really does take courage to, to just be like, hey, there's something beyond what, I, beyond what one human can handle. So I'm going to go look for some professionals. Yep. So back to the, be pro and the ideal client and all of these sort of qualifiers, if you will, how did you come up with them? I mean, we hear a lot of times about these customer avatar exercises that kind of, you know, in a way could be helpful, but like, you know, knowing that your ideal client, especially in the services world or B2B space, Sometimes the demographic thing doesn't matter as much, knowing that the person's 35 to 45, driving a Mercedes, right. likes you know to travel to the Caribbean, doesn't really matter much, right? Like I know right. in my, my business, it doesn't matter much. And so that's why I've brought this conversation to the podcast is because a lot of people get stuck on that. They're like, how do I find this ideal client when all I'm shoved in is figuring out what the demographics are and that's not helpful. So was there any specific exercises or thoughts or even just scratch pad things that you went through? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we actually have a whole customer avatar sheet that, uh, that my girlfriend Brina developed and she, she's actually probably more qualified to talk about the, the target, the target customer than I am. She actually wanted to be an FBI profiler. And uh, she uses, I know, right? So she, I mean, she's really good at reading people. It's fantastic. And so those skills are just so helpful when it comes to marketing. So she's, she's actually worked out and developed a customer avatar sheet that actually, it, it gets way beyond that surface stuff. Because you're right. A lot of people think avatars like, oh, demographics. Yeah, they're male, 35 to 60, you know, and they work in this industry. It's like, great political <laughs> stance <laughs> because that's all part of it. So like when you're doing your customer avatar, really there's a certain point where it blends into the positioning of what you offer. And that's truly 
where it's valuable to understand what your avatar is. Have I ever had, did I, had, did I show you our customer avatar sheet? Are you looking yes. at it? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you're looking at it. Cool. Mm-hmm. You are the anonymous Ifrit. <laughs> so Google, I don't know what an Ifrit is. So there's basically in our opinion, four parts to a real world, actual good, you know, customer avatar. So the first thing of course is those demographics. It's just, who are they? What can you observe about them? Again, male, kids make this much, this occupation. But again, that's only surface level. So once you demographically know who they are, the second thing you need to get into is what you can't see, get into their head. How are they? Because you can have two guys sitting there, he's 35-year-old father in this industry, you make an X amount. But one dude is like some hardcore liberal, the other dude's like a hardcore conservative. Very, very different messaging that they need. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So that's why you really need to get into once you understand the demographics, you start thinking about the psychographics of how they are. So what what groups and affiliations? Are there any spiritual, political biases? What are their values? This is also where you're going to look at what are their information sources? Where do they hang out? Is this the dude that's reading Washington Post every day? Is this is this a person that just goes on BuzzFeed all the time for, for jokes? Is this the person that they, they literally just rely on what's, what's on their Facebook wall for news and they don't pay attention to it? Or, you know, are they just watching CNN constantly? Like, you got to understand where their information is coming from and who influences them because that's where you're going to find your target audience. Cause that's the whole point of, of, you know, knowing your customer avatar or what your target is, is being able to go where there's a high likelihood that your people are there. I, I really like to use the fishing analogy that there's all sorts of ponds out there and you got to know what fish are you going for so you can use the right bait, so you can use the right mm-hmm. lures. So again, if I know that my people are particularly really liberal, I might swear in my ad a little bit or be a little more cavalier with things. But if someone's super conservative, really good grammar, nothing incendiary, very just, I, I don't know what that was, just very, you know. <laughs> right, to the point. Like, yeah, to the point, yeah, you know, yeah. dot your I's, cross your T's kind of thing. And a lot of people are happy with that as far as the customer avatar. It's amazing, but that still doesn't address what their life is like. So we can demographically see who they are. We can get into their head and understand how they are. That's still not enough, though. You have to actually get a sense of what their life is like. And these are what we call the behavioristics of it. And this is where we start to blend who this person is with your offer. So this is where you start looking at things like, okay, what are some of their general goals and challenges in there? What are some of their pain points and triggering events with respect to what you can help out? You know, what is their role in the purchase process? What are, what's resistance that they might have? And so this is, again, all the behavioristics, looking at, you know, guys start shopping for a baby carriage. Why? Because his wife's pregnant. That's what happened. That was the triggering event. Mm-hmm. So you have to know that. If you, you know, if you're a baby stroller company and you're targeting male avatars for some reason, you kind of going to need to know that because guys aren't, most guys aren't just going to go out and go baby stroller shopping. There's a reason for it. <laughs> right. So that's getting really important about what life is like now. And that's the third part. So you got our demographics or psychographics, the behavioristics. And now the last part, which will show up just as a completely separate exercise in marketing sometimes is the positioning, which is talking about what could life be like. So behavioristics is what is life like now? And then positioning is what could it be like? And obviously through the lens and the context of what you're offering. So for example, a statement of value, BPRO trains in-person event organizers on modern promotion strategies to sell more tickets. That's a statement of value. You know, what do we help you achieve? What do we help you avoid? What are some objections and known competitors? There's a really popular tool that digital marketer kind of got out in the world. It's their before and after grid. And this is looking at what is life like before across a couple of different dimensions and what is life like after the things. So what do they have before? What do they have after? What is Mm -hmm. their belief around the problem before? What is their belief around it after? Does their status change? Because if when it comes to selling and positioning and whatnot, if you can help transform somebody's status, that's a huge emotional lever that you can pull. Mm-hmm. So if you're going from average Joe Schmo event promoter bro to the leading event organizer in your city, that's a big before and after. Right. So 
that's to me what it means to actually have a customer avatar is that you're not just looking at the surface stuff. You're not even looking at the under the surface of what's in their head. You've actually considered what is their life like? What are they actually dealing with out there? And then how do you talk to them based on that? Yeah, I, I love when, when you shared it with me, the two components of that, specifically what what is life like and what could life be like? Mm -hmm. Those two things really spoke to me. Just one of which it's from my services side of things. I'm always telling my clients like, hey, look, we need to understand exactly where they are today and where they want to be tomorrow and mm -hmm. understand what it's going to take for them to actually get to tomorrow right? Mm -hmm. With what we have. And uh, so that for me was a, a nice thing, but translating that into, you know, for this conversation, the ideal client, those sort of things, you don't hear too many people. Um, I've heard some exercises in regards to help solving a pain point, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I guess that sort of relates here, but that what you talk about is, has a lot more depth to it than just saying, okay, well, you know, I'm a developer. I know they have a slow website. They want a fast website. I can do that. So I'm just solving that pain point. But you dive deeper into talking a lot more about like, really, what's their transformation? What is it before? What is it after? And, and sort of these metrics and things. How do you discover or how do you pull out these, you know, these nuanced characteristics from your customers? So that's definitely a little bit of art and science. So what we do is, again, using, using the, the fishing analogy, the first thing that we do is we look for the ponds where we know our fish are hanging out. So, for example, we know that the people are going after, they're going to hang out, you know, on the Eventbrite page, Ticketmaster, Ticketleap, StubHub, Live Nation, because these are all people that, you know, that if you are doing in-person events, you're probably going to be hanging around there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so what you do from there is... Once you found a couple of pawns, you then go looking for your ideal client. There's a couple of ways to do this. It's a lot of just looking through profiles, uh, looking for patterns. And there's a couple of things that you can do. A really good source of finding potential profiles is looking at the reviews. And there's either two ways you could do it. You can either look at the raving fans if it's something similar and you want to be similar to that, or if you actually are not wanting to be like that, so like, let's say like, I'm not interested in being like event, right? I would actually look at the detractors or the one star rating people. What are they about? What are they saying? What are their pain problems? And I would compile a list of profiles, you know, anywhere between 15 to 20. And then once you've got that list, then you start looking at the demographics and psychographics. So you just start looking for, commonalities. Like I was working with uh, uh, one of my friends from high school. She has, she does blacklight art painting. So it's a painting, but then under blacklight, there's, you know, a hidden, mm -hmm. there, there's more to it. Right. So we looked for other pages and artists that were doing that. And we found people, Hey, you know, I bought this art. It's super cool. And so we were looking at their profiles and we noticed a couple of commonalities. We noticed that if it was a female, which a lot of them were, they're middle-aged mothers. There were no single women. And we also noticed that they had a nerdy streak to them. So they either, they were a Star Wars fan, Marvel hmm. Comics Universe, or Star Trek, hmm. or a gamer, like a gamer into comics, right? Right. So that's how we can start pulling these demos. So you can say, okay, generally these are female. Generally they've got like one to two children and the ages of these children are younger, you know, hmm. zero to 10 kind of thing. And then you start digging further. Okay, well, what are their occupations? What general industries are you seeing them in? And some of this is guessing, 100%. Right. Right. So that comes to the next part, which I think would be a really badass name for a metal band called Validating the Avatar. <laughs> where, right? That would be cool as hell. How to make a, a marketing metal band, Validating the Avatar, which is exactly what you do. So this is where your advertising and your testing and ads come into play. So you believe that you are going after these, these single or married male promoters, age 30 to 60. Great. Run your ads. Does the data say that? Mm -hmm. Cause you're always going to be validating the avatar. Maybe we're assuming that maybe we're assuming something. So looking like into demographics, maybe there's a particular musician or 
like let's say like XM radio, Sirius radio, let's say we saw that as an information source. But when we run ads to people who like XM radio, Sirius, the results aren't there. Okay, let's adjust the avatar a little bit. Mm. So there's something about radio, but it's not the fact that they like Sirius. So maybe it is certain personalities on that, or maybe it's certain channels on Sirius. And so you, you, you continue to go and validate the avatar. Mm. And that would be the next step because you're right. A lot of this is kind of guessing, especially when it gets down to like the behavioristics. There's a lot of inferences here. So you get taking a stab at their goals, about their pain points. Sometimes you really do have to get into bed with them and, and almost stalk people and on their profiles and see what are they actually dealing with. Right. And, and not just, and, and like really like, for real, like stalk people, not like, like not actually stalking, but I mean, <laughs> right. if you find them on Facebook, see, are they on LinkedIn too? Do they have a website? Is there like a Tumblr blog that they write for? Like, who are they hanging out with? Like, you really got to get to know who they are. Hmm. And then once you have, again, those behavioristics are things that you can test. So if we believe that there's a pain point for feeling confident about the advertising spend, we can maybe talk to that in our ads and see, does that resonate with people? Hmm. So I, I definitely see like a rinse and repeat thing here is that you come up with this theory or a perception, if you will, mm -hmm. and then you go ahead and you actually put that theory to the test by putting it in front of those people mm -hmm. through ads. And that's that to me, that's a whole, as a data geek myself, like just I, I want to know, I don't want to like infer, mm -hmm. right? So for me, that's like that immediate, like, okay, how do we test what we know about our customers? Well, mm -hmm. let's talk to them, like really talk to them and not just our customers, but who we think could be customers. And so the power of these ad platforms now is ridiculous with the, you know, especially what you said at the top, like Facebook, people go to Facebook for whatever, anything like and everything, everything, right? Anything. Like they put everything out there for that what they like, what they listen to, who they don't like, and like all of these things. And then Facebook's just like, all right, I'll take all of that information and be able to resell it back to businesses that then use that data to target. So I, I think it's mm -hmm. super smart. I, I love that whole idea of validating the avatar. And it's the thing is, it's like you can actually pivot real quickly by doing that. Like mm -hmm. you can you can come up with this perception and then immediately just say, okay, well, let's come up with a piece of creative, put that in front, put that some money behind it so that we can actually see if it actually is valid without having to say, okay, let's wait for the next hundred potential customers to come through and then right. see who matches in. Right. Like, and I think yes. this is definitely something that I'm going to put into practice now because I've never run, and this is just who I am as my service-based business side of things. Coaching has been different. It's new to me, right? I, I start. I only just started coaching people in the past two years and developers and things like that. But the services side of things, I never spent one ad dollar. It's always been my organic foundation that I've built basically through automation to spark word of mouth, to do all these other things and pull p levers and things of that nature to attract my ideal clients to me, mm -hmm. which takes time. <laughs> like it does. It's predictable. Oh, it does. But it takes time to be able to flip this script and say, okay, well, you know what? I think, I think this is the characteristics of people. Like you're saying, Sirius XM. Mm -hmm. You put a Sirius XM out there. Well, maybe they don't listen to that. Maybe they listen to Pandora. Right, like or Spotify or exactly. whatever, right? And so I think that that's super, I love that, super smart. Mm -hmm. And then the positioning is, to do the positioning right, you're, you're making assumptions about your own product as well. So you have to be really clear about what are you offering in the first place and how can that help these people. So like if guys looking for baby strollers, you probably aren't going to be selling them like a bachelor party, you know, rager in Vegas. Like this is not going to work. <laughs> You can position it all you want, probably not going to go for it. So that's why we believe that positioning is the last part of an ideal customer in the research. And you're totally right. This thing does not happen overnight, even over a day. Like really, this this usually takes us a couple of sessions to to. So actually, here's usually how it happens. Usually, we'll we'll spend a session just finding the ponds, finding profiles that we believe work, and filling in whatever little bit of pieces of demographics we can find. Then 
we'll actually have an intentional session of really digging into the profiles and pulling out those demographics and psychographics. And then there'll be another session to figure out the last two parts, which is the behavioristics and then the positioning of it. Because once you've done that demographic and psychographic research, you will have a really good sense of kind of who they are and what they're dealing with with respect to how you can help them. Hmm. So it does take time. And I would say do not rush it because this is definitely, this is one of these things that's like putting together your company's mission statement and core values. Don't rush that. If you have the luxury of time, use it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of, especially these sort of things to let them sit, let your brain do its own thing too. Because when you do that deep work, your brain is working overtime. It's like smoking, Mm -hmm. right? And then (laughs) once you like let it sit, you're in the shower. That's why the people say, oh, I came up with this idea in the shower because you're not even thinking about that, but your brain's still doing those backward cycles and they'll start yes. to process some things and all of those other things that you're, you're allowing time and allowing your brain to simmer on uh, often, at least in my case, in my experience, those things are the valuable bits, those nuggets that are actually like, hey, I didn't think about that. Like, mm-hmm. okay. That was good. I like that. And so if you rush these sort of things, I'm, I'm with you on that. If you rush these things, if you go through those customer avatars and you're like, okay, I got my avatar, boom, let me go out there and done. Like I've evolved my customer, my ideal customer for my services side of the business for the past decade. Like mm-hmm. I've had, like I'm still evolves from time to time and gets refined and all that, but like it's a never ending cycle. Mm-hmm. It is. So you're, you're kind of always validating your, your avatar and this is also a really valuable asset to communicate between team members, to communicate to an agency and say, who's your target customer? Here it is. This is exactly who we're going for. Do your thing. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't have this. And, and even like enterprise level organizations won't have this kind of resolution. Even then they'll, they'll get stuck on like the, the demos and psychos and like maybe a little behavioristics, but like that's it. Mm. And then that's always like some massive, expensive, crazy survey control. It's like, no, if you are in tune with your target customer and you know what they're about, what they're suffering through, you should be able to infer with reasonable accuracy what you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. And then talk about it because this is the positioning. That's really all that matters. The whole point of know your customer avatar is just so you can know how to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So it's not positioning is not this separate and distinct thing from the target avatar. The, the positioning is a function of knowing who your avatar is. Yeah. At fault of this too, is like you come up with your position and then you try to shoehorn (laughs) people into that. And then that doesn't work as well. Right. No, no, that's, that's the wrong way to do it. And that's, that's running uphill, pushing a boulder. There's a lot of stuff working against you. Whereas if you know that again, fishing, I love that analogy. If you're trying to catch a certain type of fish, and you're trying to go for bass and you're, you're out in like the open ocean. There's no way. Bass don't hang out in the ocean, buddy. It's, it's like I see a lot of people out there that they're trying to sell hamburgers to vegans. <laughs> Not literally, but in their marketing, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Their, their targeting is just like way off. And it doesn't matter if you have the best hamburger in the world. doesn't matter if it is the best world-class service. You're vegetarian. You're not interested in the first place at all. It's not even a consideration. And you just wasted all that ad money trying to sell hamburger to a vegan. Awesome. This is outstanding. I, I mean, <laughs> glad this is recorded because I'm going to be listening back on this and doing some things. I love that validating the avatar. If anybody, right, the value admission to this podcast, right? <laughs> but anybody listening to that, if there's one takeaway I, that I see in this whole exercise, first of all, awesome. All of it. Do all of it. Let it simmer. Take the time. But the validation part of it. That's such a, if you really, really want to know and hone in on who your ideal client is, you've got to validate them. And there's mm-hmm. nothing like actually validating it by giving it to them, <laughs> giving it to who you think it is. You're totally right. And you really have to be mature enough to listen to the data. If you would put money that this is your target and then you run ads and they completely shit the bed. Okay. That's what happened. You learned a lot. Don't try and justify the data or whatever. Look at it objectively for what it is. Hey, you thought it was this. What actually happened was this. So what are you going to do next? How's that going to inform you moving forward? Mm-hmm. And that really is a hard pill to, to swallow. And actually, one, one really important lesson here, and I can't believe I haven't 
said this the entire time we're talking about target customers is you are not your target customer. You are not. Mm -hmm. So just because you like something does not mean that it's going to be relevant, much less resonate with who your target is. So I, I ran this the challenge with clients a lot. They're like, oh, I, don't, I don't like the way this ad's worded. And often that's the highest performing ad. So then it's the question, okay, do you want to take your best performing salesperson off the floor because you don't like it? Or are you okay with getting results? And even then, sometimes the client will, no, I don't want it. Okay, it's not my business. I, I recommended, you know, as your doctor, I recommended that you stop eating fast food every day and smoking and drinking all the time and get to the gym. And I can't control if you're actually going to do that or not. So I'll still be there to support you when you're still fatter and healthy and, and less healthy in six months. Right, right. So you are not your target avatar. And that's a really, really hard thing for people to be with sometimes. Because like, they oh, I really like the sales letter. I really love how this graphic looks. Yeah, that's a you thing. Mm -hmm. So don't fall for that. I think it's logical. It's a fallacy. So when you are validating that avatar, trust the data, trust your tests, and be with what you learn. You might be surprised. Some of the best performing ads are usually garbage quality photos. And do you know why that is? Because they don't look like an ad. Mm. And so it passes under people's radars. People are really hip to these fancy, highly produced, good quality photos. So that's why you see a lot of this, a lot of the really good performing content is like a cell phone picture. It's this grainy and blurry because it doesn't look like an ad. Yeah, no, that's 100%. I, I'm with you on that. Like, I tell this to clients all the time. Don't fall in love with that post. Don't fall in love with that piece of content. Don't fall in love with this email sequence. Don't fall in love with it. Like I, I get that you put yeah. time and effort into this things and that's part of it, right? Like it's mm -hmm. going to take work to do, but just because you like it doesn't mean that your customers or potential customers are going to like it. And so mm -hmm. uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I do want to be mindful of your time. I know we're creeping up on the, on the hour here. So before I let you go, what's up next for the next six, 12 months? So BPRO is the process of releasing, I'm seeing it the site, the tentative title is, is social advertising for in-person events, Facebook edition. So we're producing a video guide that pretty much goes through everything you'd want to know about Facebook advertising from the context of an in-person event. Because there's like, so at this point, like 15 different kinds of ads that you can run. Not even half of them are necessarily relevant to an in-person event. So that's what we, we want to do because there is a lot of information out there. The platform is insanely robust. So where do you start? So we kind of want to show this is what we've done and what we know works and only telling you what you need to know. And if you're interested in learning more about the other stuff, I'm sure you'll, you'll figure it out on your own. So that's coming down the pipe. And that will also include a community component to that as well. Hmm. Because while the video guide's great, people are always going to have questions. They're always going to want to run ideas by people. And so we understand that and realize that that's going to need to be part of it too. And so, yeah, that's, and that's really kind of where all the, all the firepower is focused for the next year is this video guide and community. And then in the meantime, just kind of consulting to keep the lights on until that part of the business gets ramped up. Right now, it's mostly service-based. We want the revenue to be mostly product and membership-based. Hmm. So that's what's coming up. And right now, we are in waiting list mode. So if you're interested in any of this, and we do have a free video guide coming out called the Social Post Triple Play, where we're teaching you how to schedule posts, target your newsfeed, target the post on your newsfeed, and then also have it expire. So that way it's always relevant to your audience. And that'll, that'll be a free video guide. So yeah, if you're interested in that, you can just go to bepro.events, B-E-P-R-O.events. And depending on when this gets published, either we'll still be in waiting list mode or you'll actually just be able to get the social post triple play. And you can also always follow us on Facebook as well, uh, facebook.com slash bepronow. So B-E-P-R-O-N-O-W. And we will be posting our blog posts there. We often do what are called dog walk talks. So we'll usually walk the dog and have some interesting marketing conversation and upload it. And yeah, that's kind of what's coming down the pipe. So super exciting and super blessed and very grateful. Thank you for this opportunity to share and very excited to see how people react to this and what they get out of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll link all of those up in the show notes, of course. And thank you for sharing some time and sharing your wisdom here, Paul. I appreciate that. And yeah. you know, the audience is going to get a ton of value out of it. Where can folks, I mean, aside from the B-Pro site and things like that, where can folks reach out and just say, hey, thanks. Thanks for this. So I do have a public figure page on Facebook. So you can go to facebook.com slash under the hair. And that's my Paul Sokol page. And then paulsokol.me is basically a placeholder site if you want to join my newsletter list. And that also is a very old school design, which is actually by design intentionally. Good marketing should intentionally attract and at the same time repel who is not your target. And so it's an old school looking landing page for that exact reason that the people that are there and know what they want, they're going to go for it. People that just kind of stumble it and sign up under it, they're going to write it off, which is what I want. I don't want people that, yeah, I don't want people like that. Because mm -hmm. when I send an email, it's maybe once every month or so, and I really make sure that it is juicy and that I haven't really shared it anywhere else. So yeah, I'd much rather have a much smaller list that's hyper-responsive than a list of a million people that could not really give a shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And <laughs> I'm on that list. And uh, it's for one, if this resonated with you, if this was juicy enough in Paul's words, <laughs> definitely go check it out. Go get on his newsletter. You're not going to miss out. You're not going to regret it for sure. You don't want to mm -hmm. miss out on, on a lot of that information there. Mm -hmm. Paul, this has been super awesome. Thank you very much for sharing some time and wisdom with us today. I really do appreciate it. And I know the listeners do as well. You're very welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for listening. And if you have any questions or comments or want to throw some digital tomatoes, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of places to do that. Yeah, awesome. Digital tomatoes. <laughs> I love that. And uh, for you listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. enjoyed today's episode, I can speak for both Paul and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from this episode. And let's face it, there was a lot of takeaways in this episode. So I would want to hear the most important one that you got. It's super simple. Go ahead in this podcast app, go ahead and drop a comment or a review or head over to Twitter and tweet me at Rez. That's with three Z's, your takeaway. Don't forget to also hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with Kate Gilbert. Kate is a WordPress expert and online marketing coach and has spent the past decade building and supporting custom built WordPress websites and has launched over a hundred websites within that time. We dive into Kate's story and how her ideal client has evolved and how she's handled that with existing clients over the past decade. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Mm -hmm.